BungaCast, the global politics podcast at the end of the end of history. Hello, dear patrons. This is, of course, BungaCast with Philip Cunliffe. Hello. George Hoare. Hey. And myself, Alex Hochuli. And this is another Alpha Bonus Bonus. If you're new to the podcast, if, and especially if you're new to, uh, to our subscriber content, this is where we deal with your questions and comments and posts, uh, which we've received over the past uh, month or two months, um, and discuss them, um, which is what we're going to do here. Um, so we've got actually a lot to get through because last one we did was in early December. Um, so plenty to get through, lots of comments, um, lots of episodes which generated a bit of controversy or things that you liked, things that you did like, didn't like. So um, yeah, let's get cracking. Um, we're going to start back to front. Uh, we're going to start with the last alpha bonus bonus uh, from December of last year, number 307. So Richard R. firstly says, um, in reference to a discussion that we had on that episode about um, escalating plunder, about the role of the state in helping capital um, effectively claim resources or um, capture parts of production into, uh, you know, and privatize it. Um, So one uh, claim made by David Harvey or a David Harveyite claim that seems unaddressed, Richard R. says, is that the plunder is in large part the privatization of things like schools that have already gone through the process of capitalist commodification and then socialization into publicly owned schools. Um, so that is to say they're private schools and then they become um, public schools, you know, they become um, nationalized, I guess. Uh, so it's less a new market and not a new commodity. It would be especially curious how this fits in with Phil's claim that daycare has been effectively socialized. Is BungaCast officially a piece with the Democratic Party? Is everything government-owned socialist now? Um, Phil, if you want to respond so, to that, but also parse yeah. that a little bit. Well, it's... Um, so, uh, in answer to Richard, BungaCast is definitely not a piece with the Democratic Party. Alex probably is, and George might well be a sleeper for the Democratic <laughs> Party, but I am definitely not. I can assure you, Richard, that um, I do not believe that everything government-owned is socialist. It's not what I, I didn't actually say uh, daycare had been socialized. Um, what I said was the family has been socialized. So the idea of some revolt against the patriarchal nuclear family is meaningless in the context in which you have women having ready access to the labor market, having um, you know rights to inherit prop- to inherit property, um, and that their rights are defended in divorce courts and whatnot, and generally have achieved, you know, in substantive measure, particularly once you pass, you know, break up the kind of demographic generational cohorts, you know, um, women of but a certain cutoff have achieved, um, you know, effective equality with men in most spheres. And so in that context, the idea of this patriarchal authoritarian family doesn't make any sense. And part of that is that you have childcare, right? I mean, my point was that Childcare is socialized, by which I mean family, the care of the child is socialized, not that daycare is something which is, you know, a harbinger of a socialist future. Uh, doubtless, like, you know, what we call childcare in the UK or daycare in the US, doubtless, you know, it could be funded better, 
it could be made free, it could be improved in all sorts of ways. But the basic proposition was that the raising child rearing has effectively already been socialized. That was it. Yeah, not the provision of of the service. Yeah, and I think it's also a good, um, I mean, it should, I, I've been guilty of this, of using the term commodification sometimes for things or, or you know, it's been decommodified or commodified, referring to things which maybe, for example, like the National Health Service, which is free at the point of service. It, it's not, doesn't mean that it's not a commodity. Um, you know, it's that it's subsidized yeah, I mean, by, you know, or that there's the supply chain is fully commoditized. There's people buying and selling goods and services. It's just that at the point of the point that you consume that service, it is something which has been subsidized by some other element of production, I guess. Yeah. And in my reading of a lot of, you know, I don't, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know what Richard has in mind, but my reading say of the, you know, development of kind of um, mass schooling, uh, across the developed world isn't one that you know that kind of became it was private and then became socialized and now is being kind of privatized again that's not the way i understood it as in a gen you know as i don't think you could generalize at that level on the develop or across the developed world i have a i have a zizekian point it may be like sub zizekian but you can have a decommodified commodity this this makes sense right that something which is is still a commodity has the like the, the aura of having been decommodified and then that can subsequently be recommodified so you can have like a recommodified decommodified commodity that would be my um such my as... response such as um healthcare that has that is a commodity and then is decommodified by being socially provisioned and then is is privatized afterwards or like public utilities in in britain you don't seem convinced, Alex, but I mean, I, mean, I, I think... I think we can just maybe, call it privatization and, and, and be done with it. Okay. Maybe that's simpler. Yeah, um, maybe that's better. A kind of related point actually comes from Andrea. Um, and here is where the argument about the expropriation of capitalists by other capitalists would come in place, argues Andrea. If we would assume that a wide array of welfare state industries and services were effectively just mediated kinds of capitalist enterprises organized by the state, and that the gratuity, so things being provided free, of the commodities um, were actually just a mere mediated way of producing and distributing things made under the wage relation in a capitalist society, then the privatization of those industries and institutions have actually been expropriated from one capitalist by another. So, in a sense, what Harveyites think of as accumulation by dispossession in Western countries would actually be a recurring and structural feature of capitalism. It's just that it's not in the moralistic way it's been for, put forward by many. Um, yeah, I think I think, think Andre is yeah. yeah. It's very it's a very clever it's a very clever insight, and I suspect it's probably I suspect it's probably right about a lot of this discussion. In fact, okay, so um, we're going to move on uh, to the episode three hundred eight. This is also from December last year, a balance sheet of the left, which is where we read this long essay. From by Jordan Therborn on um, basically the state of the left in the 21st century. Uh, there was also an article which we put in the links, which was there for discussion, was one by Perry Anderson, um, which had been written back in 2000. Um, and in reference to both of those, Eli says, is there a conflation being made between strategy and goals in the Therborn and Artisan Anderson articles? I've seen a number of millennial left self-critiques that say in so many words that all the goals and projects of the left were perfectly fine. 
and the only thing to critique were the tactics and strategies that allowed the perfect project to fail. Uh, Eli says he's thinking here of Ben Burgess's post-Bernie self-criticisms of the Democratic Socialists of America. It has the flavor of the left cannot be wrong, only be wronged. Um, and so this is also, you know, kind of discussed in the context of the idea that the millennial left failed to overcome, supposedly, the challenges and setbacks that the new left suffered. So no, no real deeper questioning of whether the new left's goals should be the left's goals today. Yeah, I think this or is were indeed spot with on. the correct ones back then. Yeah, I think this is spot on by Eli um, that the you know there is kind of a tendency. I do, I don't think it's to be fair. I suppose um, I don't think it's specific to the left. I think that there is a tendency to, in fact, the way in which we normally talk about strategy. Um, well, I say we, not we on BungaCast, but we as kind of uh, the public as a whole. The way in which strategy is talked about tends to, in fact, conflate. Uh, tactics and strategy, whether that be um, when it's talked about in military operational terms or even in business terms or political terms, nobody seems to know the difference, I think, between those different levels. And I think um, Eli is right, in fact, that the, um, you know, it's kind of, and this is, I mean, the point, this is what frustrates me about so many of these discussions. When they talk about leftist strategy, it's basically, you know, post-grad students you know, moving around imaginary pieces on a board like Hitler in his bunker, you know, imaginary armies that actually bear no correspondence to anything in the real world, as if there are, you know, kind of as if little chess pieces of organized kind of unions or political parties that have some kind of relationship with each other across borders. And they're talking about leftist strategy as if they're the ones in a position to move these pieces. When the pieces don't exist, you know, nobody knows what the game is. And, um, you know, what are the goals, you know, like, are they to simply kind of um, fulfill the, to make good the failures of the new left or, you know, or something else, something that goes beyond that. So the failure to kind of differentiate and clarify the difference between goals and strategy, I think that is, um, you know, does bedevil um, those who think of themselves as on the left. And it's not accidental. I'm not so sure I agree. I think the there is an extent to which the goals and the projects like were right. I don't think it was <clears throat> like if you think that these were the correct expression of the class interests of the people in the kind of millennial left. And so it's like, yeah, they were correct. They were the correct things and that people in, from that in that cl class will continue to want those things. So why would you change that? Right. And so it has to be something other than the goals and the projects that's the problem and i think looking internally <clears throat> um is 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 right but it's the contradictions of the project of the class contradictions of the project rather than the faders in in sort of strategy or tactics or you know how to achieve the goals if you want to put it in more uh, in less military um way but yeah i think um there is i wouldn't completely disagree with eli's point though there is you know you do have that it can't be it can't be the things that we wanted that are wrong it must be the world or something else that's wrong yeah i well, i mean i would so well but look i mean i think the you know you've got to start from somewhere right so the fact that the the people who constitute the current left um you know the bernie bros and um all of that the kind of dsa and um all of the you know that kind of um urban millennial new left um that was the constituency for bernie and corbyn 
obviously they've got like a political interest, right? I mean, you know, that would be it would be um it would be wrong to think that they don't. But the fact that they never rise above their political interests, the fact that they're never they were never able to sustain a political project that was you know could could um, sustain kind of electoral coalitions with the traditional working class voters of the Democrats and the Labour Party respectively, you know that speaks to the fact that they failed to clarify whether or not their own goals and how far their own kind of specific goals were simply expressions of their material interests or whether they went any further. Yeah. So I mean I don't I don't yeah. I don't think you can criticize them for having kind of you know class-based interests but the f- failure to clarify what their goals could and should be and this is where you know kind of their hostility to free political expression and their terror of rocking the boat and upsetting a con- you know ideological consensus. Um, got in the way of that kind of basic political task of trying to understand what they wanted and what they could offer to others. Yeah. No, I yeah. think that's right. I, I mean, even if it if it meant the state of being, you know, explicit in saying, well, we want social democracy, you know, the claims of democratic socialism, whatever that is, should be um, put to one side. Um, and to say, okay, well, that we can offer workers something that they, that, that, it, that is a genuinely popular policy like Medicare for all. Um, but the, the inability to reckon with the fact that all of the kind of, um, you know, woke bureaucratic preening um, and um, other kind of pr- uh, pursuits like didn't didn't kind of sit together with those, you know, and then couldn't be realistic about what was possible, even strategically, even in that narrow aim, um, whatever you might think of trying to kind of, um, you know, bring in kind of social democratic reforms and what the possibilities of that are. Hey there, you've reached the end of a short excerpt from an episode that's been released only to our patrons. If you'd like to join us and gain access to around two Patreon-exclusive episodes a month, please go to patreon.com slash We'd love to have you.